dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see headlights on both ends of my day this country Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. Alrighty, so cold front came through. Yep, yep, uh, it's uh, it's officially fall, Kayleen. <laughs> Actually, I at least think, for a day, anyway. I think we skipped fall, and we went directly to winter. In fact, there were maybe three days of actual fall between summer and winter, so those were nice. <laughs> Was this your first time in Kansas, or? <laughs> Evidently, it just gets me by surprise every flipping year. <laughs> what delusional little world do you live in? <laughs> Where it's 90 degrees, and then it's 40 the next day. You know, we had to turn on the heater today. And I had We to... didn't have to. <laughs> no, I can see my breath in the meat locker I call my office. No, not only that, but I had to bring in plants over lunch because it was getting too too cold for them. Um, I wanted my fall. I just want fall. <laughs> I don't want the summer. I don't want the winter. Bring me back my 60 degree days. It's global warming. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> it's climate change. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Same difference. <laughs> hey, I suppose uh, congratulations are in order because today is your birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah, you don't like making a fuss out of it, but I do, so. <laughs> I survived another year on this side of the grass, so. I'm very proud of you, sweetie. <laughs> um, your birthday always seems to fall in National 4-H Week. Usually, or on Columbus Day. Right. Well, um, it's National 4-H Week, folks. If you haven't noticed that there are probably in your your local hometown all sorts of decorations on on uh, shop windows and all sorts of activities for your local 4-H clubs, how are you guys celebrating National 4-H Week with your kids' club, Kayleen? Sean's club, the IY Juniors, they decorated the window at Long's, which is a local Western store here in Dodge City. On Sunday. No, it wasn't Sunday. It was last Friday, I guess it mm-hmm. was. So they helped decorate, and the little one was mad because he couldn't help. And of course, there was people there that let him help. So, <laughs> you know what? It definitely has a stamp that there are children involved in this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I, 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 when I look back at the people that really made a difference in my life, and who set me on the path of where I'm at, almost all of them had some 4-H connection or another. Yeah. I have to agree. Yeah. Um, We had a, and I I think of her this year, at this time every year, our community leader at the Jolly Jayhawkers 4 H Club in little bitty Woodbine, Kansas, uh, Retha Riffle. Now, Retha was a force of nature. Um, She raised, uh, you know, her kids to be, um, they, they showed cattle, they showed Hereford cattle and such. She was the type of woman that, you listen to not because you know she was mean or whatever. You listen to her because she she garnered respect. Yeah, and um, she was that kind of woman that I wanted to aspire to be when I got to be um, an adult. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> sometimes I let my inner Aretha out. <laughs> That's what that is, huh? 
that is what it is. Um, you know, she's she's she was one of those ladies that really had a, a major influence on my life. To this day, for example, just a little bit of an example, when we did model meetings in Kansas 4-H, model meetings are where you show off that you have your uh, parliamentary procedure chops and you can run a meeting just as well as the big boys, right? <laughs> so one of the things that she would always hammer home is do not cross in front of the American flag. As in, if you have to go up and present a report, you don't cross in front of the flag. Now, I don't know if this was Retha's rule or if it's an actual rule, but to this day, I can't cross in front of the American <laughs> flag if I'm doing something on a dais or a stage or anything like that. So, yeah. That's nice. <laughs> I think I've heard that before, but I'm not real sure. How about you? Anybody that springs to mind? Well, we had a few 4-H agents and judging coaches that were pretty influential and they seem to have a good way of handling a bunch of rowdy kids that <laughs> were stuck in a judging van. So, <laughs> Do you find yourself as a mom kind of going back to some of those voices in your head? <laughs> yeah, sometimes they got to be saints to deal with kids. <laughs> you know, it just seems like every, all the adults in our lives back then had some sort of connection to 4-H. Um, whether they were community leaders or project leaders or they volunteered at the fair, um, you know, we, it, it, it feels like we're just so much crammed. We're, we're so more crammed with, with work and other obligations that it's tough to find time for 4-H today, right? Yeah, my kids are still pretty young and we make time for it and Sean's really enjoying it. So hopefully he'll continue to be that way. Well, you know, folks, if you're listening to this and you don't have any ties to 4-H or you're on the fence about, you know, letting your kids join, let me tell you, I can get up on stage and while I am nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rockers, <laughs> I can actually mask it and get the job done <laughs> in front of people. Yeah, I gave many, many sets of reasons in front of total strangers, so it's not as hard as it once was <laughs> to talk in front of people. But, you know, it also gives you this other mindset of um, what are, it's not just the, the public speaking and it's not just the leadership, but it's a, it's a different kind of leadership. You look outside and you think wh what needs to be done and you just step in and you make it happen. You know, I've noticed that between 4-Hers and, and FFA members, even scouting members too, there is a, there's a, a training of you see a need, you make it work. Yeah. You, you figure out a solution to it. Yeah. I've noticed in my nieces and nephews that have a little more time in 4-H than my son does. And it's amazing how mature the the my niece is for being 14 years old. Right. And it's kind of surprising because I started 4-H when I was 13. So I didn't start from the very beginning. And it's, it's quite a, pro a process, but... <laughs> Those kids are, are really <laughs> doing what they need to be doing. So. You know, last week I sat in on some interviews for a, a local county's 4-H ambassadors program. And there were two very qualified candidates who sat with us. And let me tell you, they were accepted not just because there were just two of them and they showed up. No, no, no. They were worth it, both yeah. of them. They sat in front of a panel of three interviewers and they were able to look them in the eye and answer questions, think on their feet about answering questions. They didn't have to have somebody prompting them. Their parents weren't in the room with them telling them what to say. Yeah. Um, those are valued, 
valued skills to be able to hold your own in a room that you're a 15-year-old kid and you're holding your own with some adults. That is worth you know, spending one month, one monthly meeting a month, <laughs> one night a month yeah. at a, at a, at a club meeting, that's worth all of the headaches at, at a county fair. That's worth a lot of it. Yeah. So if you are on the fence, go check out your local 4-H club. You can go to your county um, cooperative extension office. There's, they're in the phone book of every county in the United States. Um, go talk with them about how you can get your kids signed up for 4-H. And it's not all about animals. There's hundreds of projects that are don't involve animals. Well, and you know what? If you're a boy and you want to cook, there that's perfectly okay. There, yeah. And if you're a girl and you want to learn how to weld or you want to do something that feels non-traditional, that's okay too. My own nephew is an amazing baker. And it's because he loves the science and the chemistry of it. Yeah. Um, there's photography projects. There's shooting sports projects. There's um, gardening, gardening, and robotics, and, and I mean, even the art stuff's really cool. Right. So go find something, and you don't have to take all of the projects. No. <laughs> go find one or two or mostly three, and pick uh, one. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think the best part about it though is it's family learning. My dad had never been in 4-H. He didn't do FFA. He was a farmer's son, and he had chores to do at home, and so he didn't get to do a lot of extracurriculars. But when we were kids in 4-H, he signed up to be our beef project leader, and he may not have never shown cattle, (laughs) but he did the very best he could, and he learned right alongside his kids, and he became a better dad, and he became a better cattleman for it. And so... Um, you don't have to have been a 4-H'er <laughs> to be a 4-H parent. No. So go out there, go chat with your cooperative extension offices, find them in the phone book, and if you don't have a phone book, you can look them up online <laughs> <laughs> and, and go join. Um, let's see here. Harvest. It's harvest time. I'm starting to see some milo fields getting cut. and They've been cut for a few weeks around my house. Yeah. They're planting wheat and cutting corn. Yeah, there's a lot going on out there. Are you listening to us while you're drilling wheat or you're cutting milo or picking corn or cotton? Um, we'd love for you to let us know how the crop's looking out your way. So share photos of your fall field work on our Facebook page at HPJ Talk. Or you can tag us in a post on Twitter or even on Instagram. We'd love to see how the crop is doing out your direction and the, and the uh, conditions out your way. It looks like we're in for snow tonight, Kayleen. Yeah, I did see a picture on Twitter this morning about a guy cutting his soybeans in the snow. Yeah, the the, the fellas up north are really trying to get the last of the sugar beets out before yeah. it gets too cold and, and ruins them. So good luck. Please, please be safe out there while you are in the middle of hustling for harvest. I know that this is a critical time. We, we know that this is when you get your paycheck for the year, but please... Be safe. Um, Take the time to go through your safety checks. Watch for overhead power lines. Watch for crazy drivers on the road when you're when you're roading equipment. Um, We want you to come home, and you know it might be perfectly self-serving, but we want you as listeners longer. Okay, (laughs) so come home safe. If you've got a comment or a thought or anything else out there in farm country, we'd like to hear it. Drop us a line at hpjtalk at hpj.com and let us know. 
Or you can always call us at the office, 1-800-452-7171. You can always comment on our Facebook and Twitter accounts as well. And if you like what you hear, do us a favor and head over to iTunes or wherever you download our podcasts and leave us a review. This week's episode will bring you the stories you might have missed in the October 7th print edition. We have news from the cotton patch of West Texas from Delta Pine Cotton, and Kayleen will bring us the latest on grain markets and we'll have our final thoughts. Whether you're out there planting next year's bread crop or bringing in tomorrow's blue jeans and cornflakes, thanks for riding with us on HPJ Talk. This week is our Ag Solutions issue, which spotlights the products and services out there that can help farmers and ranchers make the most of their resources. Inside, field editor Lacey Newland brings us a story about the first hemp wood factory opening in Murray, Kentucky. This factory will transform hemp fibers and proteins into a wood substitute. This patented process uses a soybean-based glue to adhere and mold the flooring, and the hemp wood is available for purchase today. On page 6, Managing Editor Dave Bergmeier has our editorial about finding a better way. Seymour clearly writes about a matchup of former, former NFL players and members of Congress and the U.S. Capitol Police in a friendly football game. And web editor Shauna Rumball writes a book review, The Farmer's Son, A Tale of Family Life on an Irish Farm. On page 37, leading the livestock section, Kayleen has a story on National Pork Producers Council's staff meeting and fly-in and talks and trade. Folks, if you have a response to something you've read or heard or there's a local topic that you want to bring to the attention of our readers and listeners, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. Or you can always call us at the office, 1-800-452-7171. We want to hear from you. It's close to cotton harvest time for some folks in Texas, and farmers are starting to get into the field to check on timing of their harvest aid applications. There's tons of field days also that allow farmers to look at cotton varieties that they might like to try planting next year. Eric Best is the Territory Agronomist for West Texas with Delta Pine Cotton, and he spoke to us by phone from a field day in West Texas. Well, Eric, thanks again for, uh, for chatting with us today. Um, let's talk about, you had a field day today um, down there in West Texas. What was uh, the big news out of the field day? Well, we currently have a lot of growers here in Gaines County. Uh, they are out here from the Gaines County area uh, and surrounding counties to look at the newest cotton varieties we have as well as the commercial standards. So we have not only the commercial things that have been widely available within the Delta Pine lineup, but we also have several things that are potential candidates for the class of 20, anywhere from the earliest season things to fit on these top acres or their dry land top acres or their full water acres. Uh, we have a lot of those candidates here those guys can look through. They can look at them under different irrigation regimes, different PGR management type regimes. 
and get a good get a good feel for how those things might sit on their particular acres. Growers are able to get off the trailers and walk around, look at them, and ask questions. We have all of our sales reps here as well that represent the different territories. So we had a lot of good questions from the growers and a lot of good feedback on how their things are doing, and we're all pretty excited to see how the newest things. Uh, following the advancement in the class of 20 are going to do compared to the things already commercial available as well as those competitors. So speaking of questions, what's the hot thing on the mind of the growers in your area that um, they're looking for in a variety? Is it, uh, you mentioned, you know, short water and, and early season and that sort of thing, but is there something pressing on their mind, like a, a specific challenge that they have to address? I would say there's several challenges out here in this area, depending on the year. And keep in mind, you can farm for 40 years and have 40 first years of farming. And the things that keep coming up here are guys want large seeded things with good vigor to have strong stand establishment. They want those things that are going to do well on a hot, dry year. Uh, they're going to be able to hold on and wait for that rain, endure that heat, and still provide uh, you know uh, respectable yields and have the quality that goes with it. But they also want those same type things they're going to be able to, uh, if they do get a rain, respond, or if they do have irrigation, respond. And they want it to do all of those type things in environments where we have a lot of times different disease pests. We can have bacterial blight, we can have verticillium wilts, a big one. And then we have a lot of soil-borne pathogens as well, such as nematodes. So growers are able today to look at some of the new nematode-resistant stuff as well as the things we have coming that are going to be very good on verticillium wilt as well as resistant to bacterial blight. Those are probably the big questions we get. But the hot button today mm-hmm. seems to be what do I do with my cotton uh, with the advent of a front coming through tonight and tomorrow and some of these areas talking about whether they could potentially dip into the freezing temperatures and possibly nip some of this cotton, especially in some of the northern geographies. So we've had a lot of time today as well going through the Bayer portfolio, uh, which you know goes all the way from pre-plant time up through the harvest dates. We have some demos out here as well. A lot of growers are very interested in what the harvest date stuff looks like as we're getting to that time of the season and how those products re- are going to uh, respond on, you know, on a crop like theirs, given what they have and given the rates they have and given the time we have left of the maturity of some of this crop. I was going to say, um, it's we are already starting to feel the front coming through here today um, in Dodge City. I can only imagine that there's some guys kind of scrambling to see what that might do for their cotton. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about the conditions on the ground right there, and how are they adapting their harvest aid strategies? Are, there, are they able to um, react quickly? Um, what's the harvest timeline look for you? Well, from a harvest aid perspective, you know, it depends on what condition the crop is. And I think a lot of the stuff that's 60%, 70% open or better, guys are going ahead and getting a bowl open or put out there on those top fields. You know, and then the second piece is, is what's that weather going to do? Is it truly really going to hit, you know, 31, 32 degrees for an hour or two and warm back, back up and that's it? If that's all it does, you know, it might nip some of those upper leaves and won't hurt it. Or, you know, that's vastly different from things to get that into the mid to upper 20s and stay in there for six or eight hours and go ahead and finish that plant off. But then the condition of the crop as well, was it early planted, was it late planted, how much, how, what percentage of the bowls are still green and need to be opened. So that's what's driving a lot of the decisions. And every field is different, and, you know, and every grower has different perspective. Some growers today say, you know what, I don't think it's going to freeze that bad. I'm going to wait and see what happens. Uh, and other ones uh, are pretty sure they've been bit before and they're not going to take a chance, and they're putting the bowl openers on trying to get stuff ready. But all in all, this time next week, regardless of what the front does, I think we're going to see uh, the application of harvest aids and getting the crop ready for a timely harvest uh, 
this fall is going to be in full swing this time next week. Good, good. Um, we, uh, you know, farm, uh, fiber has always been a hallmark of Delta Pine brands. Um, as long as I've ever been covering cotton, um, fiber has, has been the, the strong point for Delta Pine. Um, with some of these, these challenges in the production side that, that fellows are looking for, um, how, are, how are we ensuring in the breeding programs that fiber continues to be, and the high quality fiber continues to be stressed? Well, ultimately, we had a couple of products we put in the marketplace several years ago, namely you know, 1646, that raised the bar on fiber. And so any of these new candidates coming out, they have to be as good or better than those type of bars. And so when you start thinking about comparing something to a 1646 type, regardless of the environment, you know, that's a pretty high bar for some of these things to meet. And then to, to make the advancement, you know, we're going to bring something out that's lesser quality. We're going to try to bring things out that are as good or better quality, but they have to bring something else to the table as well. Maybe it's similar fiber and increased yield. Maybe it's similar fiber with better disease pressure uh, or disease tolerance to some of the disease pressures we see. Maybe it's, you know, a little bit better quality and similar yield. Maybe it's similar yield and quality, but it brings verticillium wheel or it brings larger seed and better vigor. Or maybe it brings better stormproofness. You know, those are the type of things we're looking at. Uh, but yeah, absolutely, yield and fiber are the drivers uh, for any advancement decision we make. And all those other attributes that have to be as good or better than things that are commercially available to make it into the next round of the class of 20 and the Delta Pine Bank. Great. Well, is there anything else that um, you want folks to understand about Delta Pine Cotton and and even up and down the, the High Plains? You know, we go all the way up to Kansas here in some cotton country, and I have seen some Delta Pine signs in Kansas. Um, so I imagine that your your breeding program is looking at some shorter season cottons and, and um, you're looking at a wider wider path, right? Absolutely. So down here in Gaines County, where we are today, we have a couple of those early season things here, but really the test plots that have those type things are in those environments where they would normally fit, say Plainview North or I-40 North, and where some of those newer cotton makers are. And we have things up there in testing that are the earliest of the early. We have those things coming all the way from breeding programs. They've been looked at for two or three years, and they come through the NPE program and through some of the market development type trials for, for advancement. And so we have the earliest of the early things in those trials as well. And our breeding program has done a tremendous job of representing all facets of this cotton growing region out here on the high plates. Well, hey, we appreciate you guys. And, um, yeah, where can folks go to find more information on Delta Pine Cotton? So I would recommend that for more information, contact your local FSR, your local field sales rep. Uh, they will have plot data. They will have most up-to-date things on the Bayer portfolio, and they will have you know, any updated literature uh, as it becomes available on this class of 20 advancement. Great. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Your grain market prices from Dodd City's Pride Ag Resources on October 1st. Corn was up at $3.83. Wheat was up at $3.57. Milo was up at $3.28. And soybeans were up at $7.95. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters at our website, hpj.com signup. Simply select the topics that interest you, and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Thank <laughs> you.
Next week's print issue of High Plains Journal is our irrigation issue with a story by Kayleen. Be sure to watch for that in your mailboxes October 14th. And as always, look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com podcasts. You can also find us on places like iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. We're also on Instagram. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again for riding along with us, folks, as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. This has been a production of High Plains Journal, all rights reserved. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. Headlights on both ends of my day.